leave a message after the tone. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to Working Vacation. I go by the name of Marvin Light. I go by Hassan Shazam. It's your boy, Mo. And we want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, uh, Red Owl Boxing. Red Owl Boxing is a fully equipped state-of-the-art boxing academy located right here in the heart of Toronto. Uh, it's an incredible boxing facility with boxing classes for all ages. If you're looking to get fit, stay healthy, and build some awesome self-defense skills, Red Owl Boxing is the place to be. They are led by the best boxing and fitness instructors in all of Canada, located right here in the heart of Scarborough, Brampton, and Burlington, with classes that range from beginner level to advanced. Red Owl Boxing uh, offers something for everyone. Formulated with the perfect combination of boxing strength and cardio conditioning intervals, designed to make you look good, feel good, and leave with more than just a great sweat. Check them out today on Instagram at Red Owl Boxing at Red Owl Boxing to discover your inner champion. All right, so we want to welcome our guest. He goes by the name of Marcus Medford Kerr. I'll actually let Hassan take the lead. Uh, so this is one I'm, I've been excited about. Uh, Marcus, uh, I've, I've known I've known you for a while now. So uh, uh, give it, just let us know a little bit about uh, yourself and uh, kind of an intro of, of where you're at now and what, and what you do uh, right now. Uh, yeah, um, actually, I was just writing your Christmas card, um, even though that might be a little TMI, but in September, we will have known each other for 10 years, which is wild. Um, but said, my yeah, 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 my name is Marcus Medford Kerr. Um, I graduated from UTSC, um, from a journalism specialization program. Um, after graduating, um, I split my time between working as a recreation worker with the city. So I was doing admin stuff. I was um, teaching teaching courses, like teaching sport courses to kids and like supervising sports and whatnot and doing freelance journalism. So um, I was editing. Um, I was doing kind of like an administrative assistant role where I was like cleaning up the website and answering emails and like taking surveys and using MailChimp. <laughs> um, um, I also was um, a freelance writer for a magazine called The Edge, which um, is like a business and entrepreneurs magazine, lifestyle, travel, things like that, technology. Mm -hmm. um, New Canadian Media, um, that's where I was doing editing, um, some mentoring um, and writing. Um, I have a column. The column doesn't have a name yet. Um, and also writing for buyblacks.com. And for what? For what? For buyblacks.com? It is the number one online magazine for Black Canadians. Um, and it has been for a long time. Um, and so a lot of the articles that I've written for them are um, feature articles. Um, so I've like interviewed Marcy Ian. I've interviewed um, Elijah Valde, who's the figure skater, Marcy Ian being um, an MP. Um, I've interviewed um, police officers about um, programs that are supposed to um, inform people of their rights and and like build better community, uh, build better relationships with the community. Um, and starting last January, I started working at the CBC in a casual role as an editorial assistant. So that is um, that's huge. 
Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. It was. Congrats. Um, Congrats. I know you grinded for that for a long time. Yeah. I So I did my internship there in 2017 at Q, um, which was oh, so great. Um, so after doing that, I it was always kind of my goal to like get back into the building. So last January was when I was um, finally able to do that, doing editorial assistant work. So that's um, essentially helping the host in 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 different ways um, with their scripts, like either working the teleprompter or like actually getting them getting them the scripts, organizing them, and stuff like that, and then um, tracking some information about the people that appear on the show who are not cbc reporters so like if for example um you were talking to a mayor um or you were talking to something that talking to someone about something that happened in a community like say uh, a school shooting sorry that's dark um but you would have the information about the person who is on there was this a man or a woman is this a is this a person who studies school shootings or is this someone who is who knows someone who was shot and so logging the information um and doing stuff like that um i also have been doing some work tracking COVID 19 so when there are new cases um new deaths vaccinations um stuff like that so the tracker that is on the cbc website the data that is on there um, I've been part of the team that is collecting that and also writing. Um, I recently started writing for a couple of the the news broadcasts. So like when the when the anchors are reading scripts, um, usually that are um, either about a story or is kind of an introduction to a reporter's story. I have been doing some of that writing for uh, about two months now so that that is those are all the things that i that i have been doing and i'm juggling i'm juggling most of those things now so it's um it's a lot but it is i enjoy it the hours are wild like tomorrow i start at 3 15 in the morning um so i don't love that but the work is the work is good so I can't complain. How did you um, how did you get here to becoming a journalist? Like what inspired you as a child? Because I know Hassan, you're in journalism as well. You mm -hmm. did journalism as well for school. So we got two journalists in the building, you know what I'm saying? But you're actually now practicing it with a large network like CBC. Like what inspired you, even Hassan, what even what inspired you? What inspired both you guys to even get into journalism journalism? Um, you, you wanna yeah, go go first. I'll, I'll okay, go after okay. you. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've always been interested in writing, like since the time I was five, um, like reading like Robert Munch and Dr. Seuss specifically, like I really, I really liked the stuff that they did and it made me want to be a writer. And so like in, in elementary school, I would always like, I like wrote short stories and I would like do things like that and it, it always kind of persisted like when i was around 12 years old it um started becoming more interested in poetry and then when i got into high school um i i knew that i wanted to have a career in writing um i think the first thing in journalism that i actually wanted to do is i wanted to be a um 
So it's not exactly writing, it's more media. But I wanted to be like a, a radio show host or like a, like a much music BJ. Like that was that was what I wanted to be. So it was like journalism, but it was also um, art and it was also music and entertainment. And that was really what I wanted to do. Um, and when I when I got into UTSC, like UTSC was my was my fourth choice. Um, I I really did want to get into uh, Ryerson's program or Western's program because those are like broadcast. Those are yeah, broadcast. yeah. especially Ryerson with the way they marketed themselves. Yeah, man, at the that time. program that was that was that was the dream. That was, <laughs> that was the dream. Um, so yeah, I that that's where the interest was. Like I think I, I think that I wanted to either be like a, a journalist of some kind a teacher or a lawyer and i i knew that um like writing is something that i wanted to do and i knew that i would be able to do it if i if i did journalism and i knew that or i i guess i learned eventually that i could be like a a, a print journalist where i'm writing stories but i also could be a journalist where um i would be a radio show host or i could be a journalist and um be a vj because like those are all i different variations or iterations of journalism i guess and um there was parts of them that i knew that i would enjoy and could do and the same goes for for um being a lawyer or being a teacher but i think there were i i saw that there were more cons to those especially when it came to law i won't even get into that <laughs> so in my bad uh so i said what that's actually dope marcus so i said what what inspired you like to get into journalism as well uh, for me, it was, um, I'd, I'd always enjoyed um, stories from, from uh, when I was like a really, really, really young kid. Um, I started off with cartoons um, and then it ended up becoming like small chapter books, obviously like starting with kind of Captain Underpants and stuff like that. And then it got bigger and it, bigger chapter books and bigger chapter books. And next thing you know, I'm reading like 600 page, you know, uh, books and, and things of, of that kind of like you know books that you can really thump somebody's head over with <laughs> yeah so people would you know people would have their little jokes here and there but um that i i could see myself at from 12 years old like i i wanted uh, like i i knew i wanted something to do with the written word i wanted uh i wanted to write for a living i wanted to write the first uh, the first aspect of that was to write books right um but obviously the way you get into that through school, it's a little, especially at the time when we were going into like 2011 for me, 2012 for you, Marcus, it was a little bit more convoluted. It was like a creative writing, um, what's it called, degree, and and the way that's kind of looked at in uh, a lot of uh, a lot of our households, I should say, is like it's not necessarily useful. Um, so uh, then I had to start thinking in a way in which where. Um, writing could be used as a tool where I could apply it in multiple different spaces. And I came to that answer uh, in about 2011, 2012 to journalism as my answer, as, as, as a way to be able to apply writing in, mul in a multiple different areas. And at the time, a lot of outlets were coming out for, um, you know, multimedia use, uh, videography, a lot of things that I was into that combined a lot of things that um, sparked, I guess, that initial uh interest in childhood whether it was uh, it was cartoons back in the day then it ended up becoming um uh it ended up becoming small chapter books and bigger chapter books and then after that 
uh, ended up, I sometimes if I had like a favorite, uh, I don't know, musician, artist or whatever, like I'd, I'd sit, mm. I'd sit down and sometimes I watch their interviews and I'd like try and pick it apart. How would I try and, you know, uh, step that up if it was me or something like that. I remember back in the day when I used to see like old Charlie Rose, like interviews and stuff like that. I'm like, Oh, the setup looks kind of cool, but I wouldn't ask those questions. I know. Do you guys like, have any, do you have any like favorite interviews of all time? Like I, Ooh, uh, uh, think about uh, it. inside the actor studio, James Lipton, 2006 with uh, Dave Chappelle after he came back from Africa. After he left the check from uh, the uh, the Comedy Central check. When he came oh, when back he said, and everybody was acting like he was crazy and he's, he was a lot skinnier at the time. He wasn't bucking. And he was like, and he was like oh. Hey, you guys gotta watch that. Why? Well, like, you gotta watch that word "crazy." It's it's real dismissive. I remember. Yeah, that. yeah I, I, remember I that have that bookmarked in 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 this Google in 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 Chrome, like right now, like literally all time. One of my one of my favorite interviews ever. That was actually a crazy one. What about you, Marcus? That's one of the things I I, I really appreciate about you, Hassan. Just like your, I feel like your knowledge of these interviews and of these artists is like it's like encyclopedic. It's like um like Nardwar esque. Like the like the way it's like like it's just like yeah. What's your favorite interview? This this this. It's like oh snap. Um, <laughs> I know I I know that there was um, an interview that the Breakfast Club did with Jay Cole. I'm not sure which year it was. I I know it's the one that he's wearing um, like a red a red um, might be 2013 or 2014. Maybe. It was like it's a red it's a red jacket over a black. What's hoodie. your favorite moment? What was your favorite moment in it? Um, you know what? So I'll, for that, I'll give you my other my other favorite interview. My other favorite interview is an interview with um, Stephen Colbert um, interviewing Russell Brand. Um, I think this was in 2016. And um, what my favorite thing about the interview is um, at one point, like Russell Brand is there to talk about like a movie that he's doing. And the interview strayed into just kind of like what like what is like what is the the mean like what is the meaning of what is the meaning of what I do as an actor? Like I like he, the question was about like a performance and it's like everything that I do is like part of a performance. Like I was able to do this thing because this thing, this thing that the character experiences is something that I have experienced, and I'm able to convey it in a way that is so magical it's because everyone relates to it and it's like we all relate to it because it's part of some like spatial connection um like and, and getting into it like that and he's like and then he kind of flipped the question to colbert and then colbert kind of um instead of instead of just kind of being like and and laughing about it just kind of like he himself like was answering not quite to that level but he was answering it on a like a philosophical way and i just really enjoyed it um i think that mm -hmm. i think that russell brand i've seen a couple of interviews that he's done with stephen colbert and with other people and i think that he would be a really difficult person to interview because because he does that so often where he takes an answer and just kind of like expands it to deep philosophical things and i think that he rants a lot but I was really impressed with the question. I was impressed with the answer. And I was impressed with the way that Colbert responded to 
the um to the answer that russell brand gave and i just really really enjoy stephen colbert like if i could meet 10 people stephen colbert would probably be on that list stephen colbert is the man um what's the dream so you go you come up okay you guys are inspired by a lot of creative writing you know what i mean but obviously you can take that a million different ways and from what it seems it's you guys took journalism because you wanted that multifaceted approach you didn't want to be kind of stuck in a box right so who is a person in that realm that inspires you guys and and why so Ale Hassan go but who's a person in that journalism realm that truly inspires you guys and you're like fam that's the dream that's the thing that I would I would love to do and, and why um well when I was younger it was like it was it's difficult to find uh, like uh, a black journalist that I could relate to on 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 that level, um, mainly because on, on a lot of daytime television and stuff like locally over here in, in, in Toronto, like that's not the type of stuff that we were seeing. Um, well, like, most of the time, they were the talent. Most of the time, they were the talent, or they had some other artistic thing that they were there for to be interviewed for by typically, you know, um, uh, a white person or someone of another background. So I never, I never saw enough uh, aspects of that to be able to be like, you know what, like, I want to be exactly that person. But I remember the first person I met that made me want to apply it, uh, like made it realistic for me to like, like apply this need to, to, to pursue this field. Uh, Morgan Campbell, he used to work uh, for Toronto Star, he's a sports columnist. Um, and now I believe he works for the CB. He, he does stuff for the CBC and I believe he has his own, um, podcast that he does that is also sports related. Um, mm -hmm. when we were in pathways to education, if you remember uh, when we were in the program, when we were younger, so, yeah, so for, those, for those who don't know, pathways, pathways is a program in the hood. It supports a lot of the kids in the hood and they give like scholarships, you know, if you complete the full program and yeah, they, like, plus four years. and all that kind of different bunch of different supports for kids in, in the hood but yeah go ahead. yeah i remember i made my interest kind of known about this is kind of the way i wanted to go and they uh i remember he um one day it was i believe it was for a mentoring session they actually brought him through and he came to the community and we had a conversation and after that uh, he always went out of his way to keep in touch and like remind me of like the you know how things work at the time obviously things have like significantly changed and more aspects of, of social media is like is, is present than it was in, in 2011 um mm. but he, just him coming through taking his time out to to, to to speak with me um when i was in university he i remember he had a talk that he had over there where he went by uh, my first year we had a conversation then when we did our practical when me and marcus did our practical um at well you guys did you guys did your practical together how, how is that experience <laughs> uh so i'll just finish this point um when we did our practical at uh tape and mortar i believe the story arts center uh it was centennial centennial college so there's two locations there's one in morningside in scarborough and i believe that's for like paramedics and cops and, and things of that nature and then yeah. the story arts center was more like arts themed so it was like um journalism and multimedia and there were guys designing video games you remember on the first hall marcus at the very end the guys yeah. designing video games, like the lights were off all the time and you didn't even know if they were there, but then the light will flash every once in a while. Like, oh, there's somebody there. Okay. Yeah, no, and, and you would see some of the stuff that they would be creating on those screens. Like I, I remember that old lady dancing to happy. 
That's that's the one that sticks. Oh, yeah, it's- we would just see very random stuff. Like we, we'd spend like hours in the in the newsroom uh, that they had over there. And but yeah, even then, I, I you know he was always available. I could always DM you know Mr. Campbell. I could always DM. I could always ask him questions. Um, and even though that's not exactly the route that I ended up taking, I always appreciated that being like something in my life that grounded me in in, in the, you know a realistic way to apply uh, whatever skills I got in this field. So that you know, would be the person I'd say. That, that's actually awesome because one of the things you said, I think that's actually really important, was how every single interviewer you would see, like pretty much back in the day, the the talent was typically the person that was black, but you wouldn't really see the the, would, the person who was given the interview. They they're the interviewee, you know, they're the interview. They're the interview were, were. yeah, they're, they're the interview were, right? Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't really see many uh, like black interviewers that were very known that you guys could be like, ah, oh, that's possible for me. So Marcus, who is a person? Maybe if you cannot answer that question, uh, how important is it to see a, a a, a very known interviewer that looks like you like growing up to make it feel like it's possible for you. Like how important is that? If, if, if at all, um, like I, how important is, is basically representation in that field? I think, I think that it's, I think that it's really important. Um, I think that it's, in, I think especially in that field, I think that representation in general is important because like you really do need to, well, it really does help to see people who look like you and who share characteristics with you, like in the fields that you want to get into to let you know that you can do it, to let you know that you're you're welcome to do it. I think when it comes to media specifically, I think that representation is important. Like when it comes to the, the people that you see on screen, um, I think that it's important for that inspiration point for, for the, the kids who are growing up. Um, but I also think that it's important for like for combating stereotypes for um, for for kind of making making diversity more than something that's just a fact. Like like Canada is Canada is di- is diverse like in places and and that just is a it just is a matter of fact. But I think that having having people of color and people. Um, who belong to different marginalized groups in in a role like that that is so prominent and that is i'm gonna say it's important um that's just a little journalist ego but um but i think that it's important to have people in in these spaces so that um so that so that it normalizes like the fact that there is someone who has a um who is a, a gay man who is who is reporting is fine the fact that there is a woman with hijab on um, is reporting is fine, and I think hijab, that, hijab, hijab. Sorry, um, I think that I think that those like that's part of the reason why representation is important. Um, to answer your original question with um, people who inspired me, I think that I don't think that I had that. Like, I don't think that there is not um, the kind of journalism that I'm interested in. I did not become interested in it because of like a, a black anchor or a black reporter um, or a black interviewer. Well, there was a black interviewer, but again, these were people who were more um, related to music journalists um, like um, Sarah Taylor and um, Ryan Babel from Much Music who were VJs. Um, 
like Gemini and Mark Strong, um, specifically those two from Flow and then all the other radio stations that they went to. Um, and then I think going back to the other point that I was making about why I think having Black anchors and Black reporters um, matters is because I think that for a lot of, like, um, I know that I've, I've talked to other Black journalists who've said that um, that they were interested in music journalism, not just because like that was a personal interest that they had, that, but because those were the only journalists that they saw. The only journalists that they really saw were the um, radio show hosts, the um, like the people who were on BET or Much Music or Much More Music. And, like those were the only journalism jobs that that they saw. They're exposed to. Yeah, they're exposed. Exactly, exactly. Like the the thought of being the six o'clock anchor in being black was like not something that I think it's not something that you would strive to because you saw it. You might strive to it just because you wanted to, um, but you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have been like, I want to be like that person, or at least growing up, I didn't, I didn't know who that person was. Yeah. Like, I guess I can make a distinction. Like, and like you said, the ones that you always see, um, and in positions that like if BET was on a dial stock all the time, Channel 49 for us, wherever it was for anyone <laughs> else in the world. It, but for us, it. it was, you know, it was on all the time. And, uh, uh, you know, I saw Terrence J, I saw Roxy, and I forget the names um, that, that came beforehand, uh, the generation that came beforehand. Obviously, after Flo. Yes. So um, in, in those instances, I would see it, but it was it was it was in a, within a specific field, right? Whereas daytime news, like you were saying, and everything, like for example, uh, I'd had relatives who enjoyed the topics on on, for example, uh, say uh, the agenda by Steve Pakin, but I couldn't necessarily relate to wanting to be him exactly. The way he was framed, the way he was framing maybe his topics or the way he was approaching it, I thought was was interesting in some parts. But I, I, there there wasn't uh, a relatability factor there, as opposed to that I a connection that I felt in uh, when I was watching those BET reruns, right? Exactly, one hundred six in Park or whatever it was. This is pre Shad Moss, obviously, pre Shad Moss, not Mister One Hundred Six in Park. This is pre. This is before that. After that, I, I'm not going to lie, I kind of tuned out of BET a little bit, but yeah. Yo, just question, just be, this, <laughs> a little bit on the come up, on the come up, you know what I'm saying? You guys were in university. You guys went to, you, did you guys go to university together? We did. Yeah, UFT Scarborough. Uh, all right, fam, I got to hear. One of the chants, so tempted. <laughs> what? What? Say, say that again. I'm so tempted to do one of the UTSC chances. Oh, no, like, man. No, no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's talking about the old brush chant. Like, mm-hmm. back it's in too much. It's, the thing okay. is, the thing is, there's too much energy required to do the chance. And once I get there, like, I can't get back down. So, like, <laughs> you have to get there then. You have to get there. You got to bring the energy time. You're on working vacation, huh? Well, <sighs> you don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to. I'm just teasing. All right, yo. Uh, University, take us back to university. What was that experience like? I, I want to hear a notable story from one of you guys, one of the more interesting, wilder stories being a journalist. Because I know being journal, I know I sat and lived basically in the library, you know what I'm saying? But interesting stories that you guys, that was like awesome experiences that you guys had in journalism at university. It could have been together, it could be on your own, whatever. 
um, stories you guys remember that were like notable you just had a uh, incredible time going through university learning journalism you know what i'm saying okay um i, I remember my it's first okay if you don't have, i remember my first stand what i thought was like uh like an interesting moment was um um so this wouldn't have been when we start so i divide we divide me we've had hours of conversations about this we divided into like two two parts are our, our uh post-secondary experience as far as journalism goes there's journalism theory and then there's the reality of journalism so the actual field of it right? this is what i want to get into Let's so go. journalism okay. theory uh, a lot of it was speculative there were essays there were you know um a lot of them were a lot of them were essays a lot of them were a lot of different types of uh, uh um like i guess like structured things where it would go from uh what we would do in that type of situation right uh what what exactly would we do how would we approach it how would we interview somebody things like that you want to you want to take it away marcus um yeah i think i think um i'm i'm smiling just remembering some of these assignments but I think the, so the theory part, that mainly happens the first two years of the program. So it's like the program is, is billed as a four and a half year to five year program. Because you can, you can graduate in four and a half years, but it's, it's a struggle, which I'll get into, I guess, later. Um, but during the first two years when you're at UFT, um, the reason why it's kind of theory based is like you learn about the principles of journalism um, like what ethics is, what objectivity is, um, why it's important to verify your sources and things like that. And so you're supposed, you take in this information and the essays and things that you write are about that. So that's kind of the first year. And then the second year is kind of learning to understand like the different forms of journalism, like long journalism, multimedia journalism, digital journalism, um, stuff like that. Um, and then when you get into third year is when you go to centennial and that is when um things get real um one of my one of my mom's friends worked on um like she went to centennial or she was like on the on the board of the journalism um program for centennial and which gave me i want to disclose this which gave me absolutely no benefits i did not i was not privileged in any way from knowing this person um quite the opposite but one of the things she said is like is like that is centennial is what is like what turns you into journalists like if you are a part of that program um like like in her words like that's when shit gets real like that's when you actually start going to um going to do things like that's when you start going out into the field and interviewing people and like coming up with your own story idea like your own story ideas and chasing them because i think that when we when we in second year there are a couple times when you do get assignments and you are chasing a story and you are interviewing someone but um those stories are what what i now have learned to call um issue stories like it's a it's a story about an issue so it's like a story about um racism or it's a story about um gender or it's a story about uh religion and media um so those were the kinds of things that we were working on when we were reporting but in centennial like like you start doing reporting about um there was a car crash somewhere what happened 
um there was a um there's like a string of businesses that um there was a fire like interview the store owners interview people who used to go there all the time so like doing more reporting um more um topic-based stories i guess or low sorry not topic event-based stories um and it was it was stressful i think to the point that hassan was saying about um about like you would get an essay and it would be structured when it like when it comes to when it comes to um sources getting back to you like stories being available um being able to get something done on time those were not things that you could control at centennial and that was something that everyone had to adjust to i think also being being from uft and uft like having the reputation that it has of being like the best university in canada and like one of the top 20 like in the world and blah 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 like so the people that go there are in theory anyway because we all have definitely met people who don't who don't meet the expectation but you do meet a lot of people who are very smart who are um very driven people who are high achievers and um who would like skirt through all of the journalism courses and all of the other courses that they had to do for electives and minors and then you get to the you get to centennial and you get like slapped in the face by like 70s and and C's and being told that your stories aren't good enough so um i think that that was that was a huge adjustment um it was incredibly stressful like um i jokingly call centennial centennial hell um because <laughs> it was it was hell and I, I also joked that it was kind of like jail um in the sense that everyone who is in there is in there for um a certain amount of time and the the there's a lot of adversity i mean i don't i've never been to jail also another full disclosure <laughs> uh but but like the That's the enough. camaraderie that 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 you see in like <laughs> movies and like the fact that you you bond with these people because you're all in this bad situation together and you kind of have to use your prior experiences and you kind of get through a bad situation together um it made it made me feel like jail <laughs> but it but the thing is like i know that i would not be the same journalist i am had i not gone to um had i not gone to centennial so 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 marcus what, what do you okay this is probably so that's awesome that you you went through centennial hell you know what i mean to really mold you to becoming a quality uh uh journalist you know what i'm saying because from what I found, like the question I wanted to kind of pose was, and Muhammad I know wants to get in on this is, um, mm. is real journalism dead? You know, me, me and Muhammad we're just a kind of layman, we we, we're just regular people, you know. Uh, but it is real journalism dead because from what it seems like, it seems like there's there's a lot of journalists who try to now create a story or even to some extent force a story as opposed to really telling what really happened like or i don't i don't know is there a difference between journalism and reporting like what can you guys say about that like is journalism dead what, what do you guys think because it seems yeah, like so so yeah so basically the question that we're trying to ask is more so with the onset of like social media the internet blogs i'm sure you're aware that anyone can have a platform how yeah. has that affected journalism does it change the way you go about reporting things 
do you consider those people journalists as well? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, the, the, just in the, the entire climate of how information is shared. Because for some people, news and, news and reporting, they get it from memes. They get it from social media, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, how do you now compete and how do you feel about the climate? Um, I think, I think how I'll start is, uh, to answer, um, to answer your initial question about like, what's the difference between reporting and journalism? Um, I think that one of the ways to look at it is a, a reporting, reporting is like reporting is the most factual version of journalism. Like it's, it's, it's the who, what, where, when, why, how. Um, like, so report, like reporting on, um, like a speech that a politician gives, it would be this politician said this thing at this place at this time, um, they were talking about, um, this policy, um, yeah, like that would be a piece of reporting. A piece of journalism would be the analysis of what the politician is saying. So like, if this was, um, like Doug Ford, for example, um, a piece of journalism about that speech could be about the election that's coming up later this year or about Doug Ford's track record during the pandemic or something like that. So that is um, like that is more analysis. That is more um, opinion in some in some cases um, or like making an argument. Um, so. So those are those are two different facets, I guess, of of journalism. There's the reporting, like the strictly factual. This is what happened, and then there's the other stuff. I think that the other stuff is a lot of what um, the bloggers will do. A lot of the things that you'll get um, hot takes on on Twitter and through memes and through Reddit and stuff like that. Um, do I consider not? Not every blogger is a journalist, but there are bloggers who who do journalism with the um, rigor and then the principles that I was talking about earlier in a way that makes it, it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily legitimate, like because you're not with a network, you're not recognized by whatever governing body or the CAJ, the Canadian Association of Journalists, I should say. Um, or something like that, but you could still be credible. Like you could still be a valid source of information that is um, factually accurate. You could have opinions that are well-informed, well-sourced, um, good design, good pictures and things like that. And that and that's credible if it's not legitimate in, in the ways that matter to some people. Um, so that's that's my opinion on that. Is journalism dead? Um, it's not. It's not dead, but it's dying, and I'm not certain if it's um, like. I don't think it's dying for good. I think it's dying kind of like in its current form. Like I think that journalism is changing, and part of the reason is because it has to. I think that um, part of the reason has to change is because of social media, because of um, because of the role that opinion plays um, in the news and um, in the way that people interpret the news, I, I think, um, in the way that news is consumed. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely think that it is changing. 
Um, and I think that, and, and I, I, please stop me someone if this is me just like giving more importance to journalism than, than it should have. But I think like the fact that the two of the Nobel Peace Prize winners were two journalists. And part of the reason that they were given the awards is because like the things that they were reporting on or that the practice of journalism in general and the situations that they were in, it was like, it's like a matter, it's a matter of democracy. It's like, see, like in some, like there's tabloid journalism and there's a lot of journalism that is not vital in, in like the truest sense of the word, but there's things, there's things like, there's things like that where people, like people are writing like to give people freedom where like journalists are, are killed because of the, um, the things that they write. Like, I remember that was one of the things that one of my high school teachers told me when she found out that I was in journalism. It was like, just so you know, if you are gonna go overseas that journalism or journalists are some of the first people that get killed. Um, so it is, so it is some journalists that are martyrs like that. Just, they literally just hop in the middle of like, it could be a war happening, fam, and they just want to get that story, you know, like how, because Mohammed, I remember Mohammed, you mentioned, it, uh, he could probably say it a lot better than me when it comes to like journalism versus, would you call it Mohammed sensationalism? Well, mm. I think what he's, what I think what he's referencing is that the barrier of entry in a lot of things through social media has become like really low. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the quick headline, the quick cliche, the quick clickbait title, filled with misinformation even at times, um, will draw more traffic to your site, more and create more engagement than putting out uh, actual facts or an actual um, substantial story to some degree. Yeah. Um, and, that, and, 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 that's ris and that's been rising more and more in, in a lot of different fields, but in journalism specifically, where we are taught, um, when we were, we, we were taught like, um, you know, to be objective and these sort of things, like, um, I think that kind of not only does that muddy the water, but I think in a way it kind of gives people, in my opinion, you could you could say from your from your perspective, but I think it gives people um, the incentive to just be like, you know what, um, I'm this is easier. I'm just gonna go do this. Like this this is easy, getting so and so like more attention, more clicks, more whatever, you know. So why shouldn't I do that to further myself for whatever reason? Just take the easy way out, as opposed to a field that we talk about uh, should have some ingrained level of morals and integrity and, and things of that of that nature when you're dealing with sources and stories and people that things that could threaten people's lives if you know if it goes left right yeah i understand that completely but the thing i was trying to refer to is was just like let's say you have a story right that happens right why is it that you'll see let's say a place like Fox News, we'll get into the politics. I want you guys to get into the, like, a place like Fox News will completely, I don't know if it's called it reporting or journalism, be way over on this side and then CNN will be way over on that, on that side. Like, how do you, like, that's very, it, like, it makes it tough because when certain factual information happens, Mohammed spoke about this, like, for example, like how COVID is reported. It's, it's extremely polar, bro. Like, even the fact that on social media, um, how there's literally like, anytime you mention COVID bro on Instagram or any of these places, there's some kind of disclaimer that happens. So it's like, why is it so, 
different when it comes to journalism when you you have let's say the left and the right and like these certain news networks obviously clearly pushing an, an agenda when they're telling these stories can i can i start with that one yeah okay so i think um i think one of the one of the things that's important to realize and i think i didn't i didn't truly realize it until I, maybe recently is that when it comes to fox like the and i don't i don't watch fox regularly i don't know exactly how the programming works but it's like the most prominent people on the network so i think that's like sean hannity um tucker carlson and then the, whoever the people are who are on in, in the morning a lot so and I, I think again to what i was talking about earlier versus um reporting versus journalism a lot of the stuff that they're doing is not reporting like they are not telling you this is this is what happened i'm gonna give you a clip of what someone said it's like these are people giving their opinion like sean hannity and tucker carlson specifically they are giving their opinion and their analysis of of whatever current events things are, are going on so like that's part of the reason why the coverage is way over on one side because is it their opinion though is it really their opinion or I think I I think that I think that it, I I think that I would definitely have to ha like have a specific example. But yeah, no, I I think it is definitely their opinion. I think that um like January the anniversary of January sixth just just passed like uh, a week ago. Um, but that's one of the things like when they're when they're talking like so when they're when they're making claims that um these people are these people are patriots. These people are um, fighting for their country. These people aren't wrong for doing what they're doing that's not reporting like that is not like that is not um objectively factually accurate that's that is imbuing uh opinion um based on what happened um so that's that's part of the reason why their stuff is over there like i because i don't watch fox regularly i don't know how some of the other stuff is like like i know in the the morning show like people are talking about what happened um, it's like, well, I think this person did this. It's like, again, that's someone's opinion. That's the reason why it's way over on that side. And I think to what we were talking about earlier about journalism dying, it's like, I think that part of the reason why things are all the way over on this, they're so polarized is because that's what gets attention. Um, Rating. That's what gets attention to the people that support that. Um, like it, it, like they get fired up when they hear this and people who don't agree with it here, they're, they're like, oh my goodness, what? That's unbelievable. Like I read this headline. Now I have to comment on it. That's more engaged with and, and they give it clicks too, ironically exactly. to see exactly. So what you're it's on the side of the fence, polarizing. Mm -hmm. yeah, polarizing. I definitely think that some of it is like, this is truly how I feel about it. And I'm going to say it as such. And I do think that some of it is, um, like catering to that base or or being being some having a headline that is um clickbaity or sensationalized or or somewhat misleading um even if the article isn't because i think that that is also a defense that people will have where um, or i've heard stories about that where um there's a headline and someone will read the headline and like what that's not what the story is but when you read the story the story kind of explained like the story and the headline don't match but the headline has to grab attention has to get people to the story because um, there are so many different sources that you can get your news from. Um, 
So let's uh, talk headlines. Let's talk headlines. Uh, there was a really important one Hassan mentioned, I remember, from the Toronto Sun. Rest in peace um, to it was Houdini, you know. Hassan, if you want to break that down, what happened? Oh, yeah. I believe uh, the Toronto Sun, uh, well, generally, when we're talking about the two polar opposites of the way they report on a local level, uh, Toronto Star and Toronto Sun. So the Toronto Sun, uh, after he had passed away or was, was gunned down, uh, the, the next day, the article ended up saying, um, you know, something to the effect of uh, who, 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 who made Houdini disappear on front page, right? Like right after it happened. So things like that. I mean, they're trying to do a play on words, but it's very tasteless. It's very senseless, obviously, with the reality of disrespectful, of what's bro. The man very, died. Very right? disrespectful. So. Um, and they obviously have a particular slant on 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 what they're approaching and a political slant on how they're approaching things. Marcus, you look like you're thinking something. What are you thinking, buddy? What are you thinking? Um, <laughs> so I think I think what one of the things that I'm I'm thinking about headlines is what you what you initially what you were initially talking about. I think that, and I or with the Houdini headlines specifically, I think that I think that there are two things that are going on there i think that one of them is what i was talking about earlier about the about it being clever and clickbaity and and something that um will like it it it, it work it works as a headline the, the play on the play on words um it's short there are people who like you see it and you understand what it is but then also um i think that the the toronto sun is more of a tabloidy um publication than than um the toronto star is yeah Um, so that is a kind of headline that that fits in with their kind of editorial style more than the toronto uh star would so i think that that i think that that's part of it i think that um getting getting attention having something that's snappy i think that that is part of it but i think that another part of it is um like it's a representation issue i think that if there was um if there was more black people on staff or more a black person who was on that um they would see that and be like absolutely like you can't like you can't have that as as the headline um and this doesn't have to be this doesn't have to be someone who is like a fan of hip-hop like i think that i think it's human it's human yeah i think that um one of the examples that i think of is um the the H&M example from however many years ago with um, the black kid in, I think the, um, the monkey top or, or I think it was, it, it was some kind of, yeah, I kind of monkey. No, I remember that. I remember that. And it was like, and how the hell did this even get that, through? See, like, I think, I think, I think that the, the headline thing is kind of, kind of like that where it's like this to me is evidence that there are like that there's not any black people in any decision making position or they don't have as much say as they should because because I don't think that there's any black person who would have seen that and not not realize that that's an issue whether or not they felt comfortable just to cut you off my bad Marcus just so people understand it it was actually this black kid I can't even share it but it was this little black kid and he had a green sweater on saying coolest monkey in the jungle. Yeah. That's what it was. And it's like there there is there is no way. Like I think when I first saw it, I didn't think that it was real. It's like 
there's no way that like there's no way H a company an international company like H and M would do this. It's like you'd have to be an idiot to do this, or you'd have to have no black people who are in a decision making um role to be able to see that and and raise a flag with it. Or because I I don't I don't think that it I don't think that every single person who would have seen that um both the 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 design and the picture for the design or the Houdini headline would have seen that and been like I hate black people. I want this to go through. Like, and I'm creating this and and okaying this because I don't like black people. I don't think that that's the case. I think that there probably there probably are some people who are along that line saw that was an issue, but because they feel that way, they're like, yeah, go ahead with this. Um, but I think that so they thought it was a great idea. The white people working there, they're like, yeah, this is yeah, I definitely this idea is phenomenal. We got to run with this one, buddy. <laughs> I definitely think that there are some people who would have seen both and pro who 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 probably do. But I I think it is more of an issue of because there's not enough black people in the room. There's not like as these people are are passing around this idea, no one's kind of looking over at like at Marcus or looking over at looking over at Hassan and saying, it's like, yo, you know what? I think that that would like, I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't like that. Or like, I wouldn't say that about them. And because I wouldn't say that about them, I won't say that about the black community more generally. Or like, I, re I like, I realize that this is something that would be offensive to them. Like I wouldn't be comfortable saying this to their face. I probably shouldn't have this be my catalog photo. I probably shouldn't have this be my headline front page story um that must have went through a there's no way with hf that must have went through like a couple of people bro like it, that it must, and i so and i think i think with the houdini issue because because this is we're, we're talking about journalism i think that if i'm being generous i think that another one of the issues that we talked about the uh the fact that journalism is is like dying and shrinking and um staff is getting is getting shorter things need to be more immediate because of social media because there are all these different sources that you can get your information from it could way faster way yeah faster. It, it could have been a matter of someone wrote that headline because um like as a last resort it's like this thing needs to go out in like three minutes it's like there's no headline or it's like the person doesn't have a headline or someone along the chain just kind of changed it because like instead of having instead of this headline running by the um the author and some other and like the author and editor and someone else it's just going by like a headline writer like i know that at some places there are some people who only do headlines so i think so that that is a possibility i from what i know of the sun and i did like i did a research project on the sun and the way that they do reporting so I, I understand how it is. Um, so it could be a it could be a matter of that headline got through and it was as insensitive as it was is because um there's not a lot of people to see it and they were just trying to get it out. And it wasn't until it got out there like, oh, this is an issue. Um but that is me being generous because because they're yeah anyway i'll leave it i'll leave it at that yeah no they took they took the path of least resistance i have i get the feeling even though i didn't do as much uh research on them as you just on prior instances and previous actions and, and, and articles and things that they've done before um no they knew 
yeah, nah, they knew for sure. Um, but uh, I did have uh, a question actually, Mohammed. I don't know if you if you wanted to ask it because you hadn't said anything in a while, so you can chime in if you want. Um, but okay, so we just talking about not enough black people being in the room, obviously, and some of these decision making, some of these places where decision making needs to take place, whether it's art spaces, whether it's journalism, specifically in this conversation with journalism. Um, you know, a lot of times black journalists get put in a position where they're, you know, usually expected to to be a universal voice for like all black experiences, like every mm. all different kinds of black experiences. Mm. So keeping that in mind, how do you how have you gone about and how do you still go about choosing uh, stories, what stories to pursue as a black person? And have you ever been put in a position where you have been made to, you know, uh, been asked to speak on situations that you may have not had the lived experience for? Um, yes, I actually have. I'm, I'm glad that you asked because there's two very specific instances that I wanted to talk about. Um, one, when I was in university, I think this was in second year, um, I think there, there was a moment when the professor was asking the class about um, about I think the way to talk about racialized people and just kind of like the the words to use, like like black versus African American, African Canadian, things like that, and um, and as they were as they were asking about kind of like these these are the things that they used to use and this is what they use, but like but how do you feel about it? And and they asked me directly, and I happened to be sitting like at the very back center of the class. So as he's asking, he's looking right at me, and everyone at the class then turns and looking at me and it's like well this is how i feel about it but just because i'm the only black person here what i'm about to say doesn't speak for all black people like i don't i don't have that authority i don't have that knowledge um like the opinions that i have like my my opinion on um what to call black people versus my opinion on whether or not to use the n-word it's like like it's it's different like i know that it's different than other people's um so there was that instance um but then there was an instance um that happened last year i believe it was around the time of the uh derek chauvin trial wrapping up and um the host had an interview with i believe it was an ex-football player who was um who was assaulted by the police in canada and um she was talking to him about like his experience and what and what all of that was like and at the end of the show um she asked me how i thought the interview was and the sense that i got from that was like i was not being asked to speak on behalf of all black people i think this i think that i was being asked to see it's like was 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 this interview done like in a sensitive way like was it were the were the right thing were the right things asked kind of thing um so like my so that that is in time where i thought that my um my experience as a black person was like was like i wasn't part of the decision making process in terms of what things were to be asked and in my role i would not expect to be but my my opinions was was relevant and was um brought into the conversation which which was great uh, and so the other question that you asked, you asked about whether or not um i don't think that i've ever been 
pushed into um well actually no that's not true i was going to say that i hadn't been pushed into writing a specific story because i am black um there have been times where um especially like in my freelancing where people like there's a story about a a program specifically for black youth or um there was a study that i wrote about i think last year um that looked at the experience how how black people and other racialized people experience racism in canada and the editor was like would you like to write about this and that that to me is like that makes sense it wasn't it wasn't something like here you have to write about this because you are a black person i've been presented with the option because i am um the other times and this is more so like at centennial um in more formal newsroom type settings there has been like an internal pressure that i have felt sometimes like as a black person to um to bring up certain stories because i fear that if i don't bring them up that there is not another person on the team who will bring it up or there's not another person on the team who will think that the story is interesting or, um, or or worth doing something on um so that but that's kind of like an internal pressure and i think that again goes to um um not not enough black people in in the journalism space like as a whole um yeah i am and luckily i haven't i don't think i have been like labeled like an angry black person or seen as the person who always writes about race issues in any of the spaces that i've been I, i've been in so thankful for that because that that is something that um some black journalists who i have spoken to have um told me that they have experienced or that they have worried about or people try to put them in a box yeah it's like I, yeah and the thing is so i've i've never i luckily haven't had an experience where like editors haven't said it's like oh because you wrote about this one black story it's like i'm only going to ass assign you black stories it's like i i will still get asked to write about things that don't have to do with the black community or i'm not asked to um bring my perspective as a as a black canadian to everything that i write there are some instances where i am asked to um and i think that a lot of the times i am asked to it's relevant to um but it's not something that is kind of like thrust upon me mm. so and I'm, I'm glad i'm thank you for for answering that because uh you and i both know we've had conversations uh for, for a long time about this that a lot of stuff happens behind the scenes that uh never gets talked about like this that internal pressure not necessarily overt uh, they know what not to say but they know how to for example, present certain things in a newsroom and like um, bring certain things up uh, in, in a nice suggestive, you know, nice general suggestive man just to be like, oh, you know, uh, there's this, there's that. You just put certain types of things in front of you for you to be like, mm. Mm -hmm. maybe and I should I, give this a shot. Maybe. Um, and I, I think again to um, like when we we're talking about representation and like, or at least in my uh, case, when it came to like the the VJs and the radio hosts, it's like that is also um, not something that I personally have experienced, but it is something that I've talked to other black and racialized journalists about that um, that 
in their staff teams or like by supervisors and whatnot that people have kind of push them into like music and entertainment journalism it's like hey why don't you or it's like if there's a story it's like hey the um, there's a concert coming it's like why don't you write about this it's like why are you asking me to write about this? like it, like if for example masha montano um you guys know masha montano soka okay not, so, not so, much. Like, so yeah so if i'm i ethnically am trinidadian or like if i was someone who immigrated like david thurton from the cbc like he immigrated to canada from trinidad if masha montano is coming to play and this is a huge soca like soca star it makes sense to ask that person to do that it's like would you be interested in doing but you don't assign them like you have to do this and it's like be, just because i have this connection doesn't necessarily mean that i want to um but i i am personally interested so i personally would take that story on I would love to, <laughs> but, um, Fair but, the, but the thing is you, you don't want to be in a position where like that's seen as your role or your responsibility or the only thing that you can do. It's like, I'm only going to be asked to um, do concert reviews and interviews with artists. Like I'm not going to be asked to interview um, the mayor or interview um, some athlete. Um, that's not a basketball athlete. I have to make that distinction. Um, so yeah, I, I think that I like I I know that I talked to um one journalist who who thought that they oh the only journalism that they saw themselves doing was like like um one of those kid kind of programs like TVO like TVO kids and CBC kids or music journalism. Um and be one because those were the only uh the only times they saw racialized people in those roles in journalism. Or like some of the people that they would talk to and like ask for advice would say, hey, why don't you go do this? Even though that that's not what they wanted to do. And that might not even be what their strengths are. Like if, for example, someone was like, Marcus, you should write for a C you should you should do something for CBC kids. It's like I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily be offended by that because like I've worked with kids for years. If someone knew my CV and like my interests and whatnot, like that makes sense. But if someone's like, you should go into music journalism because you're black and because i think that that's what you'd be good at or that's what that's what we're used to well that <laughs> yeah yeah no no i think he answered it perfectly uh because the reason i wanted to ask that question is because i noticed as of recently especially in media you have a lot of uh black people gaining notoriety and opportunities and positions and roles as like producers or editors or writers etc um, and the stories or narratives that they're telling are typically from a more middle-class perspective, but they're telling stories that aren't necessarily, don't necessarily come from their background. So that's kind of where the question was rooted in and why I was asking, because I saw that like trend recently where it was like suburban black people versus black people that grew up in the hood. So that's kind of why I asked that question. Mm -hmm. See, and you know, I think, um, I think that it is it is a different distinction because it's a different uh like it's a different it would be a different opinion regardless but it's a different um it's a different lived experience and i think that that would um just have a different opinion that would come with it but i think um i think one of the things that's interesting about that um like that idea is that white people don't have that like 
I, I think that one of the I think Chris Rock Chris Rock I think had a had a joke about it and it's like he like he said that he wants black people to be able to like be average. Um and it's like there there should be there should be enough black people in a newsroom where you don't like where you wouldn't have to worry about that. You wouldn't have to worry about someone who is like like PK Subban's son. Like I don't even know if he has a son, but like someone who's an NHL player's son. So this is a very wealthy black person versus like someone who someone who grew up in the hood. And it's like you didn't you wouldn't have to worry about having two different black perspectives there because it's just like it would be normal. Or and and another thing to that is like um, no no so hold on so, so 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 my bad. So what I'm saying is I'm not saying that it's not normal to have those two separate experiences. What I'm saying is the issue that I'm noticing is you're having someone who is affluent telling these stories. Because let's be honest, typically what they associate black stories with, what do they associate them with in your opinion, Marcus? Just a quick question. Poverty, you know what I'm trying to say. Like the general stereotypical, right? Exactly, narrative. Mm -hmm. The issue that I'm seeing is these narratives and the people that are telling them, there's a lack of... uh, due diligence done on a lot of these uh, media conglomerates. They just get any black person. Do you see what I'm saying now? Yeah. That person doesn't even have, they don't have to have any background in this community. Yeah. They don't have to have any experience. It's mm-hmm. just, let's just get a black person. All right, you go either it's regurgitate what we want you to say or, hey, just or, say whatever. Or, 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 yeah, and, or, I, and I think or, that's the problem. Yeah, and you know what? I think, I think, um, so I, the, what I, what I wanted to get what the other part of what I wanted to get to, to, to what you're saying is that um, like, and I think this kind of goes with the idea of like white being seen as the standard or like, like even the idea of like white being um, like pure and, and like untouched and unblemished and, and objective. It's like, so what the point, the point that you're making, like, that's a, that's a very valid point. Like the, the fact that, people will be like just because someone's black doesn't necessarily mean that they'll be able to speak to this black issue because they don't actually have any experience with it but the thing is um with white people being seen as like normal it's like that same thing isn't happening like they're not like the the idea of um a politician's a politician's son writing a story versus someone who grew up in like a trailer park i don't even know if we have trailer parks in canada but like but that that same kind of scrutiny isn't there or like you don't or it's not like when you see a story you don't look at it through the lens of this might be coming from someone from one um socioeconomic uh place versus someone coming from a lower place because we're kind of fed everything as like white being seen as the objective it's like that because those those same variations exist with with all different ethnicities but um but you're not it and it's not that it's not an issue it's not it's not brought up and it's not talked about and it's not um looked at as the same way as it would be for white people even though it it should so i i i agree with you that um that that the particular perspective of telling that story matters um but it but the same thing it all it also matters with all these other groups and i think i I think that also deserves looking at. I don't need. I don't know if that's the point that you were trying to make, but a, after hearing the point, that's that's just what it makes me think of. Because I, I think that, like, I know that there are there are certain stories about the black community that I am equipped to write about, and there are certain ones that I would not be able to. 
Like I, exactly. I, I know that. Yeah, because the point that I'm just trying to get at is I know everyone wants representation, but is it worth it if it's like tokenized? Do you get what I'm saying? Like we're just yeah. getting, we're just getting anyone just to speak on these issues. They don't necessarily have to be informed mm-hmm. or have, actually have lived experiences. It's just enough that this person is black, so to speak. Right. I, I, so I, that's kind of my concern with it. So like if you're someone who if you're a black person who grew up affluent. Let's create spaces for you to tell stories that properly represent your upbringing and your experiences. Mm. If you're someone that grew up in these communities, let's get you to speak on those experiences. Uh, I think that's the issue that happens when it comes to black journalism is they just get any single person and then just try to get them to kind of be the tokenized version or tokenized representation of that community. I think that there is some value and benefit to to having that i think i think when you were talking about earlier it's like if if you're being spoon-fed like who to talk to what to say um then i think that that's meaningless but if you're going to just get uh, a a black person specifically for this example like if you're going to get a black person to write about a black issue even if they might not be connected to it by by um a class i think that i think that that black journalist is likely in some senses to like, I think that there are some aspects of the story that they would be able to handle better than um, a white journalist, even, even though there is that class difference. Um, I think that, I think that with that, I think that um, audiences need to recognize that, um, that one um, that like, journalism as a field is limited and that you that you won't necessarily be able to have the perfect person write um be assigned to the perfect story based on their their work experience and their lived experience um uh so i think that i think that audiences kind of kind of have to accept that and and kind of accept that like that it might just not be possible to get to 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 get the, that exact thing I think that um yeah I think I think that it it does it does matter and there it, it, it there is value in having um people who can speak to speak to li- the lived experience even if it's only a little bit I think that trying to play that off as like it's like hey we have this black expert and this person is not actually a black expert I think that that is an issue um so that's kind of my concern why I think it's dangerous when people say, well, you know what, like we can't always find the perfect candidate. I think it does matter because some of these stories, the the content that you're discussing is so heavily linked to who these people are, their background and where they're from. If you're not getting the right people to t- tell these stories, uh, we understand the power of media. These, this, can, this can skew how people are looked at. I think to the to the point that I was talking about earlier with um the reporting versus the journalism versus the analysis i think that um to the to the point of like just having like i think that for the reporting it'd be great if you could have someone who is like just a black person in general to do that but if you can't find someone to do the reporting of this person said this thing then like i think that you can you can have like i would i think that something something that speaks specifically to the experience in the hood which is not an experience that i have i think that i would be able to sufficiently write about like factually this is what happened due to reporting 
but the analysis part, I, I agree with you that I think that I like, I am not the best person to do this. And I think that, I think that for the analysis, and I, I think that for a lot of the social kind of issues, the analysis, the analysis piece, I think should come from someone who has that lived experience. Like if it's an LGBTQ issue, if it's an indigenous issue, I think that the analysis, like the, why this thing matters, the, the, those things, I think that having that analysis from someone who, who, who knows it from a lived experience or really knows um, who the best people to talk to, how to write about that story um, with, com with compassion and cultural sensitivity. I think, I think that that is necessary because like, as you are saying, like, this is how this is media is one of the, is one of the main ways that people form ideas and opinions about themselves and about our society. Others. Exactly. Yeah. Even having, subconsciously. Subconsciously. I, yeah, and I think so. I think having that is huge. I think that, um, and it, I think that there are probably like some some networks and instances of of where people where people are being handpicked, um, like for the for the exact like nefarious reasons that you mentioned. It's like I'm going to pick this black person because like specifically because I know that they don't speak to any of these experiences, but I can put them up as a pedestal as our black correspondent and have that person exactly. speak for yeah. the community. Um, even though um, they are against the community, like ideologically and like it is, it is, it is well known. I think that um, cause I, I definitely think that um, cause I know, I know Hassan and I have spoken about it more like on an activist level that, that people will kind of use like the black lives matter as like a, a, a career building thing or people will kind of, it's like, or going to a journalist, people will, will don't get me on my heart started. <laughs> no, no, Mohammed, Mohammed, Mohammed talks about that a lot. He talks about that a lot. Grifting, <laughs> grifting is a huge thing in the working thing. Biggest finesse out here right now. Yeah. Um, but I, oh shoot, what was I going to say? But I think you, I, using Black Lives Matter as like a, a job to build your like career. Building your career. Like, I think that there are, like, I think that there probably are some people who are recognizing like this. This is an opportunity for me to work on stories that are, are prominent um, for me to get in a role that is going to um, give me some more say than the average person, like one that's going to be looked at because of, because of all the analysis and things that have happened over the last two years, I guess. Um, but I, I do, I do also think that there, that there probably are some, like some black people who are put into these positions who have, who have like, no intention of of being the mouthpiece um and who are maybe not even brought on as a mouthpiece like like by executives and whatnot but because they are the be, because you are the only black person you become the mouthpiece like regardless regardless of like and, and so i i because i think i think that the thing that you're talking about is like it definitely is a problem, but I think that be like if like if there's only if there's only one black person on staff, it's like like this black person is now the mouthpiece. But it's like why am I the mouthpiece? Because because I'm black, not for not for any of the other reasons that I don't want to say would qualify you. Like like if you don't have X experience, and you're not actually black. But it's like but but I, doesn't I, that show to like a hiring practice and like a generally like a like a like a hiring standard issue um that, that yeah. needs to change going forward like doesn't that show yeah. that 
that's what in, in many ways what the missing link is or like you were saying enough black people in uh, um in decision making roles who know, understand that this is valuable picking yeah, from and, this and, perspective is valuable it's yes. necessary and it's needed and, and so um going back to uh what i was talking about about um like sometimes feeling pressured to take on a black story it's like if i'm if i'm not the only if there are four other black people on this team of like 20 like actually that that's a pretty good number a quarter of the people being black that would be that'd be pretty damn phenomenal i mean like that's the thing like me saying a quarter I'm like that's phenomenal that just shows where we are but it's like but if there are five of us on this team of 20 i don't have the same pressure to bring up this story um because i know that someone else might like I don't feel like I'm the only one who will bring up this story. Um, you don't feel so, like you're the token black guy on the, on the crew. Yeah, exactly. Where, I, I think that I think that that also everything. would be a solution to um, to not having people who are bad representatives uh, for the community put in the role as representative for the community, or like, it, yeah, I think that I it's a it's a two way thing. I think yeah, I think things, it, things that are easily solvable if you have the right communication standards in place. In my opinion, man, man, I think I think that part of part of what the issue is just like um, the. Yeah, I think the opinions of like what what is what are what is seen as acceptable, like I think that because um, I and that's my issue, bro, because the people that decide what's acceptable are not black. You see what I'm saying? You have people that are not black that are telling you, okay, well, this is an acceptable black. We'll let him speak now. Mm. I get what you're saying. You're talking about that. Like, CBC, like, about that like, I don't know if you're familiar with Louis Farrakhan, fam. They would never let you interview him. Uh, they, would never let you, they would never let you interview him or Toronto guy Cody. Yeah, probably not. Well, I mean, I don't... I. Why did I, you say Toronto guy I, Cody? This guy. <laughs> no, I say, I say I say probably not, just because like I know that there are. I think because, they're not letting guys from the Nation of Islam up there. Not letting Toronto guy Cody in the CIBC building. You know, and I, I think that I, yeah, because I think I think that there are some there are some people where it's like they wouldn't they wouldn't get a chance to be on because it's like. like because of because of the role as the as the public broadcaster it's like there are there are some there are some views that i that i would imagine are like it's like it's too far in one direction to like to have to have honor to give space or the people or the people specifically or it's like this person is too volatile um to have on it's like this person could say something that would make us a foul with the CRTC and it's like, yeah, we're not, I'm as the public broadcaster, like, I'm not going to take that risk. Let, let someone else with commercial interests do that. Even though I think that as that's my point, dude, you don't think that's an issue with journalism then? Because look what you just said. Like Marcus, watch this. You don't think that's going to eventually undercut mainstream media. You don't think people are going to get tired of these like PC talking points because I'm noticing it now. Like you're, you're seeing a lot of these media platforms and, and people who have opinions popping up with platforms on YouTube in particular and other and other spaces, and they're gaining a lot of traction. Following, look at Joe Rogan. The podcast. He has one of the biggest podcasts in the world, and he doesn't 
He doesn't tread that PC line. He wouldn't be allowed. Well, but and again, half the stuff he does on his podcast wouldn't be allowed. So the thing, but no, but Joe Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan, and the and like I know, I know this isn't the exact point, but the thing is, Joe Rogan's Joe Rogan's role and responsibility versus the CBC's role and responsibility are very different. And the reason the reason why people would tune into them is very different. Like the Joe Rogan, like Joe Rogan can have people as extreme as he wants on, on, on either and any side, because, because it's, because it's for, not even because it's for an audience. Like, I think Joe Rogan has got so big where it's like, I will have whoever I want on here and I will say whatever I want and they will say whatever I want. And people, there will be people here regardless, like just because I think that, um, I do I I do I do think the the point that you were making about having um like having either the same revolving group of people or like not having um enough diversity in the people that are on it kind of dilutes the conversation because it because you're not you're not hearing everything that's out here or you're not hearing everything that's out there or you're not hearing from enough different people but I think that um I think that, and not even just with the CBC, I think that, I think that when it, like, when it comes to, like, responsible journalism, like, I think that, um, and I think, again, going to what we were talking about with um, the reporting versus the journalism, like, the, the Sean Hannity versus the reporting that Fox does. So, there are, like, there are some shows, like, like, the show that, the show that I, that I write for, it's, like, it's, it's it's a national news show like it's it's a it is supposed to be like relatively like objective like it wouldn't it would not have someone who has the like extreme views on there because like that's not the place for it but there are there are certain shows where it's like this is an opinion show like this is a talk show where you could have someone who who is more who has more extreme views on that because like that's what it's about. Like you're you're presenting. Hold on. You're but, presenting Mar that. Marcus, Marcus, what do you consider extreme views? The like, for example, the the Proud Boys. Like, like I like I would not have like a member of the Proud Boys or like the president of the Proud Boys is probably like you're not going to give that person national airtime. There, if there is someone who is, but someone who is at a Proud Boy rally, you would talk to that person. Why are you here? What like and so that so you're getting that viewpoint you're not getting it from the most extreme version of it like you wouldn't have that interview i don't think that interview would ever air on like on prime time but someone who's in the crowd would be but if there's going to be an opinion show the on the opinion show you might have you might have the the leader of the proud boys on there again i don't think the cbc would because of because of national broadcast and responsibility and whatnot but there are but there is a, there is a space there is a space in journalism for that and i think that what one of the issues is with being able to get information from so many different sources and the fact that anyone can produce things is what will happen is that someone with those extreme views will be on a show with someone who has those same extreme views and it becomes um what are they like an information silo or an echo chamber and it's like so so when you hear this, you think that everyone thinks this thing. Everyone thinks this extremely, even though what you're actually seeing is a very catered, a very catered and specific perspective. I think the concern that I have though with, with this mainstream media, and and it's kind of the core of like where this question is coming from, is 
the way things are set up, I think people eventually are going to like begin to revolt against it. And, and you're starting to see it now. Like to me, Trump is a perfect example of that. He used the perfect like moniker or phrasing for, for his following, the silent majority. There was a large group of people that were in America that were very upset with the fact that Obama had become president, that Democrats had gained control, that you had someone who was, who was black that was in control. And he fed into that. He was able to win an election. And as we saw, a lot of other things transpired during that time. The way media is set up, there's like a script. Like a lot of this stuff is becoming formulaic. And I think listeners want more, whether you call it extreme or not, they want the reality. They want to hear the hard truth. And they want to hear both sides, concern, not, not they just that one. Yeah. But, but, but even another layer, my issue is the hard truths that they do allow are usually filtered through a specific sphere because he said, oh, this is extreme. We find this extreme. To who? Who is it extreme to? It might be bad, but who's to say this is extreme? Why can't this be discussed on, 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 on television? I, I understand, obviously, the sponsors and the financial implications, but I'm just saying as like someone who is speaking about journalism as a whole, you don't think that's going to be a concern down the line for these mainstream uh, entities, especially with the way the Internet 3.0 and everything's headed? That why am, I, why am I going to these platforms and I can go somewhere else and I can get a more honest, a more genuine and more upfront and direct answer. And I think that might lend itself even to the what you were talking about with a lot of a lot of the established media outlets having like paywalls and you were talking about like to me privately where uh, you know it's it's getting a lot harder to access some of their sites and things like that. And people <clears throat> are it's it is you know information is easier to disseminate now. It's it's easier to find other sources for things and and whatever it is that you're into and that you're looking for. Um, so yeah, whatever your thoughts are on that, whatever you can speak to. I think um, I think that I think that paywalls. Um, I think that because like, it is I, one contributing I, factor that's going to turn people yeah, away from the, the what, what's what's a paywall for a guy like me who no has no clue what so, it is. Um, a paywall. A paywall is when. Um, a, a link like an art like normally an article or a video is um like when you click on the link you're not able to access the content unless you are a subscriber or like you're a paid member or something uh, uh, i know i know that is yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so, Star uh, has that all that all those guys have that yeah and it's, yeah. It is, yeah, because dude they're not they're not selling newspapers and magazines like they used to so subscription for them just having a blog that's like free and having ads posted isn't enough they need like a subscription model as well to, to kind of uh, sustain that. Yeah, go ahead, Marcus. Yeah, I know, yeah, I, I know what it is. I wasn't familiar with the term. Um, and I think that one of the, like, so I think that, that paywalls is one of the things that um, drives people and not, and that's the thing, like driving people to blogs and like independent websites, like that in and of itself is not an issue. Um, the issue is like when, when you're not getting, like when you're getting information that, um, that is that like feeds into the echo chamber and that's for a very specific like for a very specific purpose like um like again like if you're if you're and this is no slight to joe rogan but it's like if you're if you're only getting your information from joe rogan like joe rogan doesn't have the same obligation responsibilities or like role um 
to to give facts in the same way that a news organization would. But if the information that you're looking for or the only perspectives you're able to hear are on Joe Rogan's podcast, and that's the only place that you go. Um, I think that, and I, I think, I think to your, your point of um, people wanting, like people wanting, wanting more and wanting, um, wanting things that are, that are like less filtered or um, that are more, more analytical and like get, get at, get at the nitty gritty and the issue as opposed to just the, the... just honest, man, just honest. But no, I, I think I, I don't, yeah. I, I would, I would disagree that, um, but everybody's that, version of honest. Yeah. Cause I, I think who it is. that I, I think that no, but you, honest is honest, fam. Like, like whatever your perspective is, speak your honest to God truth, what your perspective is. I think that's the issue that we're caught up on. I think mainstream media tries to become too much of a moral police. This is wrong. You shouldn't say this. This is this is this well, isn't this matter. This isn't oh my God. There's a difference between like truth and honesty. Like those aren't the same things. Like being sometimes the truth hurts, man. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but, but, but there are people going out of their way to hurt for the sole purpose of getting a reaction out of you, not to put out a fact. No, but I, I think I you can discern that. You can discern trolling. <laughs> but it's, it's so widespread and it's in every market. I, and I think, but it already happens in mainstream media. It's even worse, I would say, because people are trolling things that aren't even true. You got someone like Candace Owens, who's who's writing books and and becoming a bestseller, and she's literally just lying out her mouth. She's just making stuff up just to sell books. Yeah, let let Marcus finish. The, let, let him let him between that. truth truth and honesty. Because I I, Back, th- I agree with Mahad. No, because I think that the 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 difference between like I think that. A, a, opinion opinion is honest but opinion is not true like a, opinion is honest because like this is this is honestly how i feel these are my these are my experience and that like that's that is honest and that like and that is it is true like it is true that this it is true that this thing happened to me but how i feel about it and like like honestly how i feel about it or honestly how um how this experience happened like that that isn't always that isn't always the truth and i like that isn't always the objective truth like this is factually what happened this is what what it happened what what happened what this is not what what happens means and i think that i think like that's i think that that is um like there there it's a it's just a different a different kind of space because i don't because i don't think that like I think, like going going back to the to the the Proud Boy thing, it's like the it's like yeah, be I they're on on some platforms. Like I I don't want you to be I don't want you to be honest. I don't want you to be fully honest on here. I don't want you to come on here and say why you hate people, why you hate these kind of people, or what you would want to do to them. Even though that is like that is honestly how but isn't that the core of journalism? That, that is, that is Isn't that the journalism? But, the, but the thing is it's like ha- knowing knowing this knowing the specifics of of what someone would do to you like how how beneficial it, how beneficial is having that information like you can knowing knowing what the what the beliefs of the group are what the what they've done what the ide- what the ideologies are um like to 
whatever degree. It's like there's truth in that and there is value in knowing that. But knowing knowing what like someone wants to do with a knife to you in some place like that, that is being honest. Yes, absolutely. But it's it's more I would say that that's more harmful. Like if you were if you're someone who is a potential target of this, someone who has been threatened by this, it's like I am now worried i am now worried and anxious more so than i would be with knowing this is the ideology this is where the group is and and stuff like that so and i think that 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 would be an example where like yeah i think i think i think that there should be a space like there there should be a space for those kind of people to to discuss and have those kind of conversations because if they're not having those kind of conversations anywhere like it just boils and it gets january 6th levels um but I don't, I don't think that that is something that should be, um, like, because I, I think, I think, and because when you were saying earlier, like, who gets to decide what is and what isn't extreme? Like, I, I know that I've, um, like, when there's been coverage of things, it's like, if there is any video of something that shows someone like dying or like a dead body, it's like that won't get shown. Like, if there's someone getting hit by a vehicle, that won't get shown. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there, 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 because I, I think those, those are ones where I know it's like if there's someone. Like, cause you can be, if there's someone who's against, um, carbon taxes and there's someone who is, um, skeptical at the role that humans played in climate change, that person will get an interview. But if there's someone who says climate change is not, is not happening, that's not a thing. That person's not going to get an interview because, because, because what, like what you're saying is, is like not it's not just contestable like things that are contestable can can be contested those can be talked about but if something is just factually inaccurate it's like we're not gonna there we're not gonna give the space to talk about something that is like like holocaust deniers it's like there we're not gonna give the space for someone to talk about this thing that happened that we all know happened and we've all agreed is an atrocious thing um those are those are the those are the examples that 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 come that come to mind um so given yeah um everything like you've discussed and obviously like the 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 limits the stretches of the profession um i know like a lot of things in the journalism space obviously have been changing we've discussed that um one of the last things that i didn't want to ask you was um with the amount of opportunities that are opening up through social media, obviously, like Brandon Gunn is leaving his show, uh, leaving CP24 and starting his own thing, um, opportunities that may even be uh, available for um, other international um, journalists of color, uh, whether they be they, whether they're black or fit another denomination or another group. Um, talk about maybe what some of those opportunities are, um, and I know you've been looking into this a little bit more uh, deeper as of as of late. Yeah. So I know you wanted to mention that. Um, I think that I think that Brandon Gomez is, I think, a really a really interesting case because, um, like, when he was on when he was on CP twenty four, he was very like he was one of the prominent reporters. Um, like I think that he got a decent amount of big stories, and I think that um, like he was a fairly regular um, person like a, a, he appeared fairly regularly i think that um him leaving and starting his own show um from 
what I gather, the team is like it's a relatively small team. Like I think there's probably like maybe six people on there. Um, I think that what it what it goes to show, and what we've been talking about about um, about the place that multimedia is playing in journalism, um, the the role of like social media and marketing. Um, I think that his success goes to show that like it it there are alternative there are all there are alternative ways to do things um i think like in the year that he had his show he interviewed he interviewed the prime minister twice like in a pandemic year like it's not like it's not like the prime minister didn't have things to do it wasn't didn't have things going on so it's like that is like and I, the, the the prime minister, for example, like didn't speak to rebel media, like rebel media asked him a question at a debate and he's like, I'm not talking to you, but he spoke to Brandon Gomez twice. So I think for like, for young journalists out there or, and that's the thing. I, I another thing I think with the success of that show, and I think with a show like that, I'm sure that not everyone who was on that team is a journalist. Um, Like, I don't think that everyone on that team probably went to J school or it's like, all that interested, in, like who don't have the same interest and background in uh, journalism that Hassan and I have. Um, so I think that, like, if you can understand how to use your skills, especially like those those multimedia skills, to kind of fit on a team or project, I think that that can be great for you. Um, uh, the I, the other thing is um, freelancing. Um, the like I was I was a freelancer up until like a couple weeks ago when I signed my contract. Um and I think being being a freelancer um it's not it's not great for stability reasons because like you don't know how um how many stories you're gonna get, how many stories will get accepted, how long it'll take to actually write your stories, how much you'll be paid for stories, because like some publications, for example, pay per word versus some play pay just a flat rate. Um, but one of the benefits of um, freelancing is like you can take one idea and um, pitch it to multiple publications. You can take one idea and look at different aspects of it. Like if you wanted to talk, so The weekend just had a new album. Um, you could talk about, like you could pitch to one place, like I'm going to write about how The weekend went from sounding like D'Angelo to sounding like Daft Punk. Like, I don't know. That's just an example. But you could also talk about, um, you could have a, another article about about just the album coming out and pitch that to someone else. Or you could try to like talk to one of the producers on the team and be like, this is how the sound came out. Um, so you're able to kind of take one story and, and, and like you can take one story and get three stories out of it. Um, so that's a possibility that you have when you're, when you're a freelancer or depending on where you freelance, um, you, you can get some opportunities to, to do stories that you're personally really interested in, um, which I find great. Like, I think I probably pitch around like 60 to like 65% of the stories that I end up writing. So like having, having that control over what I'm writing, but also like being personally invested in it, um, is also something to look at. Um, yeah, I think, and and I think I think to what was mentioned earlier, it's like social media is huge. Like there's a lot of um, job postings that are shared, like calls for stories, um, and 
and things like that. So looking looking into those things um, helps. And then also just talking to people you know. Like I've I've told several people that like who you know is almost as valuable as what you know. Like I I know that the position that I am in, um, like just in life in general, is partially aided by the people that I know and who have been able to vouch for me. Like you obviously need to have the skills and ability once you get into those spaces to do whatever it is that's required of you. But having someone who's willing to um, take a chance on you or to like train you, mentor you to, for you to be in that position um, is priceless. Yeah. All right, we're gonna we're gonna leave it out at that. Uh, Marcus, we're slicing, dicing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, fam, we we really appreciate you for being on the Working Vacation podcast. First of all, we want to thank every single person that tunes into the Working Vacation podcast. We really really appreciate you guys. You know what I'm saying? Show a friend, tell a friend to tell a friend. Like, comment, subscribe. You guys already know what time it is. I go by the name of Marvin Light. I go by the name Hassan Shazam. Your boy Mo. And it's the and... Working Vacation Podcast, baby. And we got our amazing guest, my man, Marcus Medford Kerr. Gang. Gang. We out. All right. Thank you. <laughs>